0: Are you doing well? Good. Well, why don't we open our hearts to receive the Lord's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do that. We open our hearts to receive because we want to be more like Jesus and we want to live the life that you've called us to live, a life of victory and a life of power. So I pray, God, just through my weakness, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring a strength to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen problems problems who's had problems in their life who's ever yeah have you found the solution to problems more problems this morning I want to share with you uh, from the book of 1st Corinthians so turn in your Bibles to 1st Corinthians chapter 16 And Paul is writing to a church that has problems, lots of different problems. There's so many issues inside this church, it's actually overwhelming. There are over 10 major issues in this church that Paul has to deal with, that he wants to write about. Uh, Let me just tell you what they are to give you some type of clue of what was happening in the church. Uh, There was a separation of social standing. Some people believed that they were better than other people and therefore they separated. Some sat on the left-hand side and some sat on the right-hand side. Some sat at the front, some sat at the back, some sat in the middle. But they separated themselves because of what they believed that their social standing was better or more important or different to someone else. Perhaps it was the clothes that they wore. Perhaps it was they were slaves and other people were slave owners. But there was a social problem within the church of separation and God hasn't called us to be separate. He's called us to be one, one body with one heart and one spirit. So Paul has to deal with this thing that goes on within the society of the church at Corinth. And then there was sexual immorality that was just unbelievable that was taking place within that church. And he has to deal with that and he has to call them out. And he even says to one, uh, uh, to his leaders, you've got to hand this guy over to Satan for a period so that he can come to his senses. I mean, that's a terrible situation to be in, but he has to deal with the problem. And then there was uh, Christian lawsuits. Can you believe Christians taking other Christians to court? It was a terrible thing to see. You know, Paul says, look, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Let, let the, the very simple decide these things. But there were, there were lawsuits with Christians. Then there was confusion about marriage. I'm still confused about marriage. So uh, there's the issue of marriage and singleness and how it was all supposed to work. And he's trying to tell them that there were problems with spiritual gifts. People were prophesying. They were doing silly things. And there was a Lord's Supper that they were taking, changing into a feast instead of remembering Jesus. And it just went on and on and on and on. And there's problems and there's trouble in this church must have been an interesting place to be if you were, you know, loving Jesus. My goodness. So this morning, please don't think that I'm going to address a problem or an issue within our church, if you thought that's where I was going. But Paul says something that is really important at the end of Corinthians, that I believe helps to deal with a whole stack of things that go on, within the life of a church, and within your life. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about, is Paul's final words in this letter to the church at Corinth. If you were to give final words to a group of people, or to a family, or to a friend, what what would those words be for you? Would it be, don't forget to feed the cat? Or... Remember to call your mother. Or remember bin night is Monday night. Save for a rainy day. Don't forget to go to church. What would be your last words? And Paul writes this incredible letter that he addresses issues and he gives gives them the advice they need to know about how to change the situation. But more than that, at the end of the letter... In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14, if we could put that up, this is what he says to them as he ends, and he says this: "Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong and do everything. Absolutely everything with love. He gives us five things that we should have in our life, and we need to be aware of them in our life. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong and do everything in love. And I think if we could get a handle on these this morning, we can go through life and not be too overwhelmed about what is going on probably around us and in us. So Paul gives us five things. I mean, if I was to have my last day here in church this morning, I think I could really pull on these and say to you personally, Hey, this is so important, for us that you remember these things, that you always remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And so we're going to kind of like pull those things apart and have a look at it. What does it actually mean? Be on guard. It means to be awake, to be vigilant. Don't fall asleep in your Christian walk. Because sometimes we do fall asleep in our Christian walk. But be on guard. It's a military term that's used. Paul's saying, come on guys, be like a soldier, soldier of the Lord. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Don't fall asleep. Because you are guarding against the enemy who's trying to bring temptations and dangers in your life. That's what he's trying to do. The enemy is trying to get you every day whether you realize it or not and he is so subtle but you need to be on guard you know when you are on guard and it's a military term you need to be prepared for what is going to take place and how is a guard or a policeman should we use this morning how is he prepared well a policeman what are the some of the things that he has well he would have a what he'd have a gun. Have you looked at a policeman's uniform, what they wear when they're out there? Not only does he have a gun, but he actually has a taser as well. And he has handcuffs. And he has a a stick. And he has, you know, um, a walkie-talkie. Why would he have a walkie-talkie? Because he needs to call for what? Reinforcements. And not only that, he has a vest that would protect him, physically protect him if someone was to come with him. From time to time when I see a police officer dressed like that, I say to him, how much does that weigh? Because it looks enormous. A lot of weight they're carrying. And, and they usually say between oh, six and eight kilos they're carrying extra. And I said, my goodness, I could be a police officer because I'm carrying about six or eight or even ten extra kilos that I sh- shouldn't be carrying. But they carry that just because they are on guard. And folks, we have to be on guard because we have an enemy who wants to bring temptations and dangers into your life. What are the temptations that he wants to bring into your life? What is it the thing that we have to guard in our life? Proverbs 4.23 says this, You know, guard your heart above all else. This is the most important thing that you have. Your inner being. Guard it above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Temptations come. Don't treat temptation lightly. The enemy is trying to use that. And when we think of temptation, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What temptations does he use for you? You know, I think today for the Christian... The greatest temptation for them, for us, is not to believe in a world that does not believe. That's a temptation. Because if he can put doubt in your heart that God loves you and that God cares for you and God wants you to live from, if he can tempt you to believe that, then guess what? He will take your faith apart as quickly as you could possibly imagine. We cannot give him a foothold in any area of temptation in our life. None whatsoever. Be on guard. Be awake. Don't fall asleep. When I am tempted, and I'm sure you are tempted, what should we do? We should resist temptation and we should go back to the Word of God and say, It is written. Thou shalt shalt not, what? Lie, steal, all the basics. Don't do it. Don't fall into the trap. Be on guard, because if you're not on guard, you're asleep. Be on guard, and it's easy to fall asleep. Secondly, he says here, stand firm in the faith. That is, holding on to and defending truth. Be firm maintaining your belief. I am shocked at how many of my friends who were once believers are not believers. I'm shocked about how many people went through Bible college that was in my year and previous years who are no longer serving Christ, who no longer attend church because they are no longer standing firm in the faith. Be firm in maintaining your belief. Don't Don't, don't, don't be swayed by popular opinion. Don't be swayed by popular opinion. There are opinions out there that are contrary to the Word of God, and I don't have to run through them, but don't be swayed by popular opinion. You know, an opinion is a belief or a sentiment or a judgment formed about something, listen to this, that is not necessarily based on fact. It's not based on fact. Well, what do you think? What's your opinion on this matter? There are so many things that are taking place within our nation and people don't know the facts. Because, uh, you know, like, it's, it's kind of like if you think, well, I have a different opinion, then it's something that you're against. No. Our opinions are always based in truth, An opinion is a sentiment that has there's, it can have no factual evidence and people go, "Well, it seems all right. well, it seems all right to eat ice cream and chocolate every night of the week seems all right i don 't know what the outcome will be, but it seems all right that 's my opinion we 've got to be careful that we don 't allow opinions opinions. Of the majority that can so easily sway us away from the word of God. Stand firm in the faith. You know, I've heard that phrase so many times. A popular opinion, but I've never heard a popular truth as a statement. This is a popular truth. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill. In the King James Version, it says this, Ephesians 4 verse 14 not to be swayed with every wind of doctrine different teachings well this is what I think seems good It's just my opinion but is a person's opinion based on fact on truth you know that don't be swayed by every wind of doctrine should be translated today don't be swayed by every popular belief or opinion because we can lose what we've had you have to stand firm in the faith or you can say well that won't happen to me let me give you one example just one example out of a guy out of the Bible who was just an incredible guy so gifted and his name was Solomon Think about this. This is the wisest guy that existed in his time and maybe for a long time. This is what the Bible says about him. 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 29. It says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sand on the seashore. Incredible wisdom, the ability to know what to do. And God gave him this understanding and knowledge that was, that was you just couldn't count it. And he's walking through life and he's got this wisdom. It also says that the riches that he had were unbelievable. Tons of gold, tons of silver, jewelry. People were bringing things to him. This guy had everything he could possibly want but he did not stand firm in the faith. Listen to this, 1 Kings 11 verse 14. And it's rather shocking when you start to look at it. In Solomon's old age, they, and he's, they're referring to foreign women, turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord God as his father David had. They turned his heart he eventually ended up worshipping Moloch where they would sacrifice babies to an idol. That's how far he departed from the truth. And yet God gave him wisdom that was beyond the sands of the seashore and gave him everything his hearts desired. And here's the kicker. Listen to this. In Solomon's old age, it's not when he was a young man, In his old age, you think the older you get, the smarter you would be. But I think there's something where people start to move away from truth gradually and look at opinions and say, that that seems okay. Well, if it's not centered in truth, then it's not truth. In his old age, in my old age, I want to be better and stronger and firmer in my faith than I have ever been when I was a younger man. I want to be more zealous for the Lord God, not less zealous. And that means that I have to stand firm in the faith. It means to be immovable, unshakable. It means that you have to have an opinion that goes against the tide because the tide's pushing against you, telling you just do whatever you want. I'm telling you, you can't do whatever you want. You just can't. Because there's going to be consequences. And if we fall into that trap, then the church will cease to exist what God intended it to be. Stand firm. The next one he says is be courageous. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used, courageous. We see it used in Joshua. He's told to be strong and courageous, to be strong and very courageous. But this is the only time. It means to be brave. Don't be a coward. Don't be timid when the enemy comes against you. Be courageous. I looked up the King James Version because I, when I first became a Christian, I started reading the King James Version. And you know, thee, thou, thine, and those, whoever they were. And I was, I was reading and I can remember, that doesn't sound like the King James Version. It, it doesn't, I don't think it says be courageous. So I went back to the King James Version. And this is what it says. You're going to love this. It says, quit you like men. Quit you like men. And I go, what does that mean? Quit you like men. It means this to be courageous, to put away fear, insecurity, nervousness, and reluctance. In other words, be a man. Do you remember the old days when men were men and women were women? Well, they're still men and men and women are women. But when men were men, my dad was a man's man. You know, you could tell. But today, there's all sorts of that type of expression. But be a man. In other words, be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Stand up. Don't be intimidated by anything. That's what it means to be courageous. And can women be courageous? Of course they can be courageous. But to have that strength. Mark Twain said this, courage is not the absence of fear but the mastery of fear. Because fear will come. And there's been times as a pastor when I've been afraid and I've had to deal with fear. And I have had to put fear in its place and say, no, you're not, you're not taking that. You're not taking my strength. You're not taking my courage. You're not taking my what? My faith in God. You have to be courageous. Courageous. And sometimes that means you've got to look the devil in the eye and slap him up the side of the face and say, get behind me because that's where you belong. I know where you're going and you know where you're going, but you don't believe that's where you're going. But I'm telling you, that's the truth. Be courageous. There's a story about Smith Wigglesworth, who was known as the apostle of faith, saw great miracles take place. Amazing man of God, Totally committed to God, 100%. And the the story goes like this. He was asleep in his bed. He was sound asleep. Have you ever thought what that meant, sound asleep? Sound asleep. Actually, I I was so curious about that phrase, sound asleep, I looked it up. How did it come into being? And sound asleep means this. It means when someone's sound asleep, it's like they're like a log. And it's like a log... Being soared. So when someone's sound asleep, they're like this. You might have someone sound asleep in your house. Once I went on the camp with a whole group of guys, I'm telling you, this guy, he was, he was almost dead. He was so sound asleep. Do you remember Keith Galgal? He was sound There were four guys in the same dorm as him. They had to get out of the dorm and they moved up the other. I could hear this guy sleeping through the dorm wall. That's how bad. It was unbelievable. Sound asleep. Well, Smith Wigglesworth was sound asleep. And then he awoke and he could sense an evil presence in the room. Have you ever had that feeling? Yeah, once or twice. And he could sense it, the ice was cold. And there was fear in the air. And he rolled over, and the devil was standing over him, just looking at him. And he looked up, and he went, Oh, it's you. And rolled over and went back sound asleep. That, my friend, is courage. Because it masters fear. And it doesn't give fear a foothold in your life be courageous be strong quit you like men quit you like men be courageous and then he says this oh be on you be on guard stand firm in the faith be courageous be strong be strong now when someone says you be strong what hits your mind are you thinking about someone who's totally buffed? Be strong. My dad was a bodybuilder. He was in the Mr. Universe competition in 1952 in Singapore, had 18-inch arms, biceps, 18-inch neck, 18-inch calves. He could lift over 400 pounds over his head. And then people say to me, "What happened?" And they say it skips a generation that's what (laughs) happens it skips a generation it's not my fault but you know he was strong he actually used to travel up the coast and he had a strong man act he would get six inch nails and he would break them with his bare hands He'd he'd just break them he said he would go to the RSLs. this is before he was a christian he'd get all the farmers lined up and he'd give them each a nail And he says, see who can break that. I'll give 50 pounds, because this was before the dollar in 1967. And he would give them, and they would be trying to, and then he would walk up to them, and he would take the nail off of them, and he'd go, and he'd give it back to them. And it was so hot that they would jump because of the friction. He would would just break the nails, Bang, bang, bang. He could rip, you remember the old telephone books were like that? He used to rip them in half. He had a spear that he would have and he would throw an apple on it and it would stick on the spear. He would put it up against the wall and then he'd walk against it with the spear stuck into his throat. He could balance on anything. On the end of a building in Brisbane, he would do a, a handstand like 20 stories up. There's a crane in Glasgow in Paisley where they used to do shipbuilding. He did a handstand on the end of that. He told me one day, he said I'm, he was a rigger on on building sites, you know, they put all the scaffolding up. And someone said to him, Jimmy, do a handstand. So he went and did a handstand. And he's on the edge of a building doing a handstand. He just, he just goes, And he forgot that he had his riggers belt on. And he said that his shifter slid from out of his belt, hit him in the back of the head. And he said, I went blank. And he said, I couldn't remember which way was down. (laughs) And he said, I just had to wait and hold that balance, that hand balance. Until it could go down, he was strong. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I never argued with my dad when I was a child. It just wasn't what he would just look at me, and I knew that I was in trouble. When it says be strong, does it mean that? It means nothing like that at all. It means no. It doesn't mean physical. Do you know what it means? It's the type of strength that is internal. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being. Here, everything that is within you needs to have strength. That includes your soul and your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience, your intuition, your communion. You have to be strong in here. As we walk this walk, you move from a conviction that is of the world and you move to the conviction that's of the kingdom of God. It's the inner man, the regenerated spirit of a person needs to be strong. You respond out of a godly nature rather than a carnal nature. That's the type of strength we need to have. And that is what Paul is saying to that church. You need to be strong in the inner man. You need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit says something, bang, you just know it. That this is not right and this is right. So our decisions are good and godly. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong on the inner man. Oh, Pastor, I don't know how to be strong in the inner man. Why don't you start to read the word of God a little bit more? Why don't you start to pray? Why don't you pray in that heavenly language? You know, Paul says you, when we pray in an unknown tongue, we are edifying our inner man, our spirit being. You need to take the time to do that. And then lastly, he says this, and do everything with love. Everything with love love is to to be the filter with everything that we do is it possible to do everything with love of course it is it's not hard it's not impossible how can it be how can we love people that we don't like how can we love things that we don't like how can we go to places and feel uncomfortable how can we not love that well here's the answer the scripture tells us That God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. God has poured his love into our heart. And it's in there. And folks, all we have to do is get it out of there. It's there. You have all the potential of Christ. Because he's poured his love into your heart. Did you know that? That every day that there is love resting inside you to walk through this This challenge that we have in our life, it's there. We need to draw on that love, love that empowers me to love other people. But you know, sometimes I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling the love. You see, love has to move from an emotion to a decision. That's the thing about love. Jesus is in the garden and he's going to the cross. And can I say this? He didn't feel the love. He didn't feel the love of the world. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, oh, look, if it's possible, can, can we just go past the cross? Can we just go to resurrection? Wouldn't that be really cool? No, but not my will, your will, because love has not to do with emotion, it has to do with will. And when Jesus relinquished his will, he truly loved the world. Folks, that's what we have to do. We have to relinquish that emotion that when we see someone or with someone and we don't particularly love them, then we've got to pour it out of us, ourselves, and draw on it and take it from us because it's going to be a decision And we go from emotion to will, and that's how love is manifest. True love. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in in chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, it's long-suffering, it's not boastful, it's not envious, it doesn't seek its own. That's what love is. It's a decision of the will. And when Jesus was at the cross, he laid down his life, And love was totally manifest in the sacrifice, in the decision that he made. That's love. And Paul says to those in Corinthians, Hey guys, I know there's a lot of problems there. We're trying to address it. But why don't you try and do everything with love? What an incredible world we would live in if everyone did everything with love. Wouldn't it be people fighting over car parks, fighting over toilet paper. Do you remember that? Is that nothing short of insane? Seriously, paper. What's gone wrong with the world? But you wouldn't do that. You'd do everything with love. Because God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And because you're not going to go by emotion, you're going to go by decision to love just as Jesus loved and laid down his life for us. It wasn't the nails that held him to the tree. It was love. That's the thing. As I'm writing this message, I stopped there after writing that. That's a very well-known hymn. It wasn't the nails that held them to the tree, it was love. And I just thought it was interesting what Roxanne was saying this morning about, do you realize that he loves you? I mean, he loves you. And then I I was sitting there as I'm writing this, and I thought, why would anyone die for me? Why would anyone seriously die for me? I know what I am. I know who I am. I know what I was before I asked him to come to my life. I certainly was not worthy of anyone's sacrifice. Why would he die for me? Because he loves me. And he loves you. And he's giving you his love so that you can love and you can be Christ. And that's why Paul says this at the end of this, this letter to a church that is just in such a mess. Man, be on guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong in the inner man and do everything with love. That is a tough call, isn't it? It's, it is it. It's just a tough call. But we have to move from emotion to decision to love. I want you to stand with me this morning as we finish. Why would anyone die for me? Why? Because he loved me. Even though there was no good in me. And I was steeped in sin. And I was separated from the love of God. Jesus came and died for me. You know, sometimes when I'm preparing a message that God gives me, and I know that this is the message that God's given me, there's things that have happened during the week, perhaps in your life, where there's been a disagreement, there's been upset, there's been hurt, there's been frustration, there's been anger, maybe. But I tell you what, God is calling us back to that, the very simple part of doing everything with love. Everything with love. Because love is the sacrifice. It's the greatest standard. It's the greatest representation of God. You know, the scripture tells us that God is love. And that's how he can pour love into our heart. So you all have it. I haven't, but I've got to move from that place of emotion of, oh, I don't feel that, to I have decided to do that. Why don't you close your eyes this morning? Close your eyes and, and let's just, just stand quietly for a moment. And let's address the issue of love that's within us. Address that issue. Oh, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I didn't deserve it. But you, you died because. You love me and I can't understand that sometimes. Just foreign to my thinking sometimes, why would you do that? But I know that you did it. And you did it because you wanted me to be free. And to live a life you've called me to live. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to pray a prayer for me. And if that registers in your heart this morning, why don't you just say, yep, yes. Rather than we all just pray it out, I'm just going to pray that prayer for me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for not loving. Forgive me for not being patient. Forgive me for not being kind. Forgive me, God, for wanting to seek my own. Forgive me, Lord, for entertaining fear when I should be overcoming it and mastering it. Father, help me to love, to love everyone, Lord, I want to access that love that you've poured into my heart. Sometimes I don't know how to do that, but I just say, Lord, help me. Help me to love. Help me to love. Help me to be that example, just like Jesus, because I know it's there. Help me to be that example to other people of who you truly are, that you are love. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. And I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, this morning, if you're here or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, Jesus loves you. And he proved that by dying on the cross for you. And you can receive Christ into your life by saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. And I know that peace will come into your life. You don't have to understand how it all works, but you have to respond genuinely and being real that perhaps your life doesn't have love, but he can give you that love. So if you do that, I know that he will pour out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Good morning. God bless you. Thank you for watching online. We pray God's richest blessing on you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.